My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Grace about long COVID. We've talked a ton on the podcast about how the COVID pandemic is adding so many people to the ranks of the chronically ill. But we've not yet had the opportunity to sit down and talk to someone who became chronically ill because of long COVID. And we finally have that opportunity today. And Grace did a really, really fantastic job. And you know what really surprised me about Grace's situation, it's something that I had not really considered, is that after her COVID infections, because she actually had two back-to-back a month apart at the end of 2020, uh, after her COVID infections, a whole host of different health conditions popped up, including adenomyosis, developmental coordination disorder or dyspraxia, fibromyalgia, and FND, functional neurological disorder. Her doctors believe that some of these conditions may have been present all along, but her COVID infections are what caused them to flare up. So now she's dealing with this incredibly complicated situation on top of the long COVID symptoms, the worst of which is chest pain and difficulty breathing. COVID is still so new and there's so much we still don't know about it. And this idea that long COVID is not just a long version of COVID, but also can include all of these other complications all these other health conditions that have popped to the surface, that was something that I had not really considered or heard about before. I related so much to what Grace was talking about with making the transition into being chronically ill. You know, that's always such a hard transition to make when the switch is flipped and chronic illness turns on and does not turn off. Then what do you do? You know, the slow transition of realizing she had long COVID because at first she was uh, categorized as having post-viral illness, but as she continued to be sick, her doctors eventually started to consider that she had long COVID. And she also talks about making the transition into using mobility aids, how hard it was to get her first cane. But once you realize that mobility aids were helpful, the transition into using a wheelchair was not as difficult as the transition into using a cane, which is something that I myself have said about my own transition from using a cane to a wheelchair. I think Grace might have the record for the most times that we had to reschedule our recording sessions due to chronic illness on both of our parts, but I'm so thrilled that we made it happen because this is a fantastic episode. Grace did an incredible job giving us a peek into her life with long COVID. There's a lot to learn here and a lot to consider. We are all still living inside of this pandemic. As much as we want it to go away and wish that it weren't happening, it's happening. We have to deal with it. And there are repercussions to getting COVID for so many people. Uh, So it's a lot to think about. I'm thrilled to be sharing this episode with you today, and we're going to get to it in just a couple minutes. Before we get to our discussion with Grace today, I have a few things that I need to share with you. I'm recording this introduction on Monday evening, uh, the Monday before releasing the podcast. Earlier this morning, I moderated a live discussion for the Connect Trust Society about living with chronic illness with Amy Stephanie Perez and Alana Jacqueline, and it went so great. It was so much fun. I just love talking to these two people. Uh, you know, they, they were both on the podcast recently, two absolutely fantastic episodes, incredible advocates for chronic illness, their communities, for their diseases, and I felt so lucky that they were willing to take part in this presentation. It was called Speaking Out About Chronic Illness. And we talked a lot about what it's like to be a content creator making chronic illness content, you know, being public about what we're living through. 
something that's, you know, very important to me is this idea that uh, because society doesn't want to hear about our pain, we often feel silenced or feel like we have to keep it a secret. We have to mask in public. We have to bottle it all up. And that's just so unfair. It's so unhealthy. And it's something that we shouldn't have to deal with on top of living with a chronic illness. We should be able to talk about it and be public about it. And that's a huge part of why I have created this platform, not just so I could talk about it, but so that other people could have that opportunity as well. Uh, so that's what we talked about on our panel this morning. It was so much fun. I was very grateful to the Connect Trust Society for allowing us to do that, for inviting me to uh, to make a presentation about the Major Pain Podcast, and for giving me, you know, carte blanche to do whatever I wanted. So this is what we did, and it was a lot of fun. We did have some technical difficulties uh, in the beginning, <laughs> but we did make it work and have a great discussion. So it's already live on the Connect Trust Society's Facebook page if you want to check it out, uh, and I think it will be on their YouTube page as well shortly. Their YouTube page is called Disability Foundation. I do not yet see the live stream archived on YouTube, but I am told it will be there. Uh, but like I said, we did have some technical issues, so I'm not 100% sure what's going to happen if it's going to end up on YouTube. I did see it on Facebook. Just promise me if you watch it on Facebook, you'll scroll through the first couple minutes because, uh, you know, we were in the Zoom waiting room um, getting everything set up and they did broadcast all of that, uh, which I did not realize was happening at the time. So, um, and we also had some difficulties getting Amy into the Zoom. Uh, so, she made it in there about 15 minutes into the discussion, uh, but it all worked out, you know, in the end. Just got to roll with these things in a live setting and we ended up, as I said, having a really fun conversation. But that's not all that happened for me today. Uh, very early this morning when I first woke up, I got the results of my genetic testing. So this is something I've been talking about for a while now, that um, I was gonna move forward with getting full genome sequencing to try to figure out if we could find any answers for my chronic illness. And the results of the genetic testing are frustrating. <laughs> they show a genetic variant of unknown significance. And you may be asking yourself, what does that mean? And I have no idea. So I'm going to read to you from my actual genetic testing results here. I'll tell you exactly what it says. So the primary findings in this report say heterozygous for a variant of uncertain significance in JUP. J-U-P. Uh, and then scrolling down here in the report, it says, to our knowledge, this variant has not been reported in the literature or in a large population database, indicating this variant is rare. At this time, the clinical significance of this variant is uncertain due to the absence of conclusive functional and genetic evidence. So the report does give me a little bit of information about the JUP gene. Apparently there are, you know, uh, genetic defects that have been cataloged in the JUP gene. And what it says is uh, it's been associated with autosomal, I don't know these words, autosomal dominant erythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia, which is characterized by cardiomyopathy and ventricular arrhythmia without skin or hair findings, and autosomal recessive naxos disease, which is characterized by cardiomyopathy, woolly hair, and keratoderma. So I looked up this naxos disease, and uh, yeah, it, it includes woolly hair syndrome, which to my knowledge is not something I have, and this like uh, buildup of like, I think calcium or something on the palms of your hands and your feet. I definitely don't have that, but I am being examined for having, you know, 
uh, periodic arrhythmia in my heart. And we're looking into the possibility that I have POTS because I have definitely noticed that I have uh, periodic tachycardia, which I think is when I'm standing. I think it's it's a postural difference, but it's hard to tell with my at-home test. Tachycardia being when your heart beats faster than it should, uh, faster than 100 beats per minute. So, I, in my research today about Naxos disease, I saw that, you know, random tachycardia can be a symptom. And there is a family history of some heart issues. Uh, so, so, yeah, I, it, once again, I am left with test results that say, yeah, maybe there's something going on or maybe this means nothing. So, I wrote to my entire care team today. Uh, I sent message to my primary care doctor, to this new doctor I've been seeing who's trying to help me get a diagnosis, to my new cardiologist who I just met with, uh, I think last week for the first time. And I finally got to talk to a cardiologist, a cardiologist about my heart monitor results and the periodic arrhythmia that was discovered on that. And he says that's nothing to worry about that, you know, I've already been started on metoprolol, which is a beta blocker. And he said, you're already taking what I would give you for this arrhythmia. So, I wouldn't worry about that. And I will absolutely say that I do feel like it has been better. You know, I, I feel like I notice it as heart palpitations. And I do feel like that has improved uh, being on the metoprolol. But he did say he was very curious to see the results of my tilt table test, which is happening in a couple of weeks. But I did send him, you know, these results today, since this is some new information. Um, I also sent it to my old geneticist who, uh, who I was talking to about my copper processing issues way back when, <laughs> which you may remember, you know, it's, that's all been happening during the course of this podcast. And, you know, I, I was really hoping to get some info from her because this report is, you know, basically saying, uh, there, there's something there, but we don't know what it is. And she wrote back almost immediately saying, this looks like incidental findings and has nothing to do with your copper issues. And I got pretty mad because I'm like, you know, I'm not asking about my copper issues. I have so many symptoms going on. If we can diagnose any of them, that would be really helpful. Uh, so I wrote back to her, kind of pushing her on the subject. She said, you know, this has nothing to do with your situation. And I'm like, well, I looked up the JUP gene and it talks about some heart issues and I'm being examined for those. And there is a family history of some heart issues. So why does that have nothing to do with me, basically? And she has not yet responded to that message. Um, but yeah, I was very, very frustrated by that. You know, whenever you take information to a doctor and they dismiss it without asking you a single question, without asking anything about your situation, uh, it, it just feels so dismissive. And I really don't like this geneticist. You know, she's a very nice woman, <laughs> but she's been incredibly unhelpful, you know, throughout this whole journey. Every time I have a question for her beyond the initial appointment, she always just shuts me down. So I tried to get a second opinion from a different geneticist geneticist and they, uh, a while back and they denied the appointment. So I'm just really feeling the frustration today, you know, on top of that, something, something that will come up in the podcast with Grace today is this idea of, you know, pushing yourself too hard. And, uh, Grace talks about trying to recover from COVID after her initial infections and how she's worried that she pushed herself too hard. And, you know, when we had this discussion was in this window where I was feeling a lot better on my new medications. And I was feeling so much better that I was able to do some things I haven't done in a long time, including going for a walk. And I got so sick after and have still not recovered from that. So, I kind of you know, push myself too hard and have been dealing with dealing with that ever since. And the incredible frustration of feeling like I'd made some progress and then having to take a step back. 
trying to calm down and recognize that this is a process. I'm still better than I was, even though I've taken a step back. Um, I just want to go all the way through. You know, I want to get all the way better as fast as I can. And that's not going to happen. That's not the way it works. And I need to, I need to chill out, you know, uh, but, but getting this news today was rough. <laughs> Uh, so I'm still kind of processing this. I just, I've really been holding out hope that the genetic testing would have an answer involved uh, or at least uh, rule something out, but to just be back to this thing of like, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's just like when I had my liver biopsy, it's like, yeah, there's some stuff there, but it's kind of nonspecific. So maybe it's something, maybe it's not. I'm just, that's the answer every time I get these tests done. And it's so infuriating, but uh, I have an appointment with my genetics counselor, not my geneticist, but the genetics counselor who has helped me through this process. I have an appointment with her next week, and she's been really helpful, although I really feel like the answer is going to be, um, I don't know, because, you know, if the <laughs> if she had more information, it would have been in this report, but I can at least talk to her about what it means to not know, and if there's anything else we can try, and then I'm waiting to hear back from everyone else I sent these results to, three other doctors that I sent these results to today, but, you know, it's looking like the genetics testing might be a dead end. I do have to say, you know, I got these results right before our panel discussion today for the Connect Trust Society. And it's so interesting, the timing of this, because Alana, if you might remember from her episode on the podcast, also had genetic testing come back with a, a variant of unknown significance. And her reaction to, to me saying, hey, this is what my test results came back as, her reaction was very positive. It was, you know, hey, that's more information. That's something you can take to doctors. That's something you can pursue. Um, it's something, you know, it's something to go off of. And that's not how I was feeling about it. And I'm still kind of processing through this and still feeling pretty frustrated. But I really liked her point of view on this. So I'm going to try to try to get there. You know, it's going to take me some time. But I do think that's a really great perspective to have. And it's something that I'm going to strive for. In other news, <laughs> so we got a really great comment on Instagram about our episode with Christy a few weeks back about her extreme allergies. This is from Barbara Williamson 819. This young lady is very brave with all the pain, adversity, snubbing by the healthcare system and governmental agencies. She is still able to keep it positive. My hat's off to her. And it is important that she knows that many people love her and send positive energy to her every day. I love that comment. Wanted to share that with you. I love hearing from people who've listened to the episodes who have things to say. You can always leave a comment on Instagram or TikTok or on our website, majorpainpodcast.com. As I do every week, I have to thank our Patreon community who is helping to support this podcast and make it possible. Uh, Patreon is the only consistent financial support that I receive for creating this podcast, and it is incredibly helpful. Uh, as I always say, I am hopeful to turn this into a full-time career someday, or at least have the support to keep it going for as long as possible, and I need your help to do so. Each and every one of you signing up on Patreon is bringing me a step closer to making those dreams a reality. There are three tiers of support, the $2 supporter tier, the $7 patron tier, and the $25 producer tier. Each tier comes with different recognition and gifts, and all tiers gain access to our monthly bonus episodes with Andy, which are super fun. Special thank you to our Patreon producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia, who are going above and beyond to help keep this podcast going. 
Don't forget, if you are already a member of the Patreon community, our next bonus episode is coming up soon. So leave your comments on last month's bonus episode or your questions or prompts that you want us to talk about when Andy and I sit down to record our next bonus episode. That one is going to be a few days after the first of the month because Andy and I are going out of town once again. We're going to go on a quick visit to see my family, uh, but we'll record this as soon as we get back. If you're interested in signing up to support this podcast, gaining access to bonus episodes and gifts and special recognition, you can find all the information on patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. Another great way to support this show is by signing up through our link to Rare Patient Voice, which is an awesome organization doing research about diseases. So if you have a diagnosis of any kind, or if you are a caretaker, look in the description of this podcast for the link to research opportunities with Rare Patient Voice. Signing up through that link will help to support this show, and then you can participate in research studies and surveys, and you will be paid for your time. It's an awesome opportunity, and we've had a few people sign up, and I'm so grateful. It's absolutely helping to support this podcast, helping me to uh, purchase supplements because my new doctor is having me try out all these different supplements, and that is what that money is going towards. So right now, I really appreciate that support. You can also leave us a positive rating and review on iTunes. That is super helpful. Uh, Leave a positive rating on Spotify. Share the podcast with a friend. Or if you're in any chronic illness communities that you think might find use out of this podcast, I really appreciate you sharing it there as well. You can learn all about every way that you can support this podcast on our website, majorpainpodcast.com slash support. I will remind you that my guests and I are not medical professionals. This podcast is not intended as medical advice of any kind. Uh, We are just sharing our individual experiences living through chronic illness in the hopes that you might find some information that can put some ideas in your head, maybe help you along your journey. So please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this show without first consulting with your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic episode with Grace about long COVID. Grace, welcome to the podcast. Hi. I'm very excited to talk to you today. This is a, this is a real achievement that we're finally meeting and recording today. Uh, I think this is our fourth or fifth attempt to record, something like that. Yeah, I think it's something like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're not just combating, you know, both of our chronic illnesses, but also the, the time, because you are in the UK and we, you know, had some time issues with getting the conversion right. So this is a real achievement that we're actually here talking to each other. So welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to finally get to meet you and to hear your story today. Thank you. I'm so excited. Honestly, I've been I've been trying so hard to make sure that I'm fit and ready and perfect because as you said, we've been waiting for quite a long time to do this. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, I posted a TikTok months and months ago saying how, you know, we haven't talked to anyone about long COVID on the podcast. And I wanted to find someone who's been dealing with long COVID. And you were the person who responded to that TikTok. And I'm thrilled to finally get to talk to you today. Uh, But before we get into any of that, let's get to know you a little bit. So Grace, why don't you tell us about yourself? Hi, I'm Grace. Um, I'm 20 years old. I run accounts called Long COVID Living on both Instagram and TikTok. Um, aside from all my chronic health issues and that, um, I really love reading. I'm really into The Walking Dead at the moment. I love watching that. Um, and I just like to be outside a lot. I, li- I like to go outside 
I would say for walks, but I don't really do much walking anymore. So more like for a, a wheel out. Yeah. So it sounds like we uh, use a wheelchair in a similar way. Um, so you're Walking Dead fan. Are you into the comics or the show or both? The show at the moment, I think I'm on season four. I just, I keep, I do this thing where I start a series, I binge watch it for a really long time, and then I start a new series, binge watch, and then I go back, and that's what I've done at the moment. So a while ago, I watched about three seasons, and then I finished Stranger Things just recently, and I was like, oh, what shall I watch? I'll finish The Walking Dead. Yeah, well, you're in for... Uh, quite a journey at this point. They're on yeah. what, season eight or nine or something. Yeah. I actually recently, um, a couple of weeks ago, finished Criminal Minds. And by the end of it, I think there was like 15 seasons. Wow. And I was so shocked that I'd got through it all. Yeah. I yeah. actually, I also just finished uh, Stranger Things season four. Yeah. Oh, man. It was amazing. It was so it good. Was that really show. Good. That show yeah. just gets better and better. Season four, I feel like, was by far the best season yet. I do feel like they were kind of, instead of like a massive big ending that I feel like everyone was waiting for, they kind of set it up for season five, which it just makes me excited and sad at the same time because I know I have to wait like a year or so for it to come. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to hold out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they def- it was definitely a lot of setup for season five, which I love because that's going to be the last season. So. You know, I I just I love what they're doing over there. Um, and yeah, I've actually I've actually uh, I, I watched I think six or seven seasons of The Walking Dead before I decided to put it down. But I read every single comic book. Uh, I wow. love I love the comic series. You know, it's such a it's such an interesting premise. And for my tastes, the show went on a little beyond my interest in the story. Um, but but the comics held my interest all the way through. Really really good stuff um yeah i'm a huge nerd <laughs> i'm really into i'm really into the zombies too like i love watching like zombie movies and stuff so yeah it's just something that's holding my interest at the moment yeah awesome yeah and the first um huge chunk of seasons of the walking dead were just fascinating and really really good i mean yeah. i loved season three the most i think the one where they were in the prison uh, i really really enjoyed that season Yes. Yeah. I really like it too. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get into what we're here to talk about today. So, Grace, what is your major pain? My major pain is long COVID. Yeah. And I guess also functional neurological disorder, which I've since been diagnosed with. So, yeah, they're my major pains. Interesting. So, you were diagnosed with FND after being diagnosed with long COVID? Yeah. Wow, I was that's actually so diagnosed with a lot after being diagnosed with long COVID. The theory with my doctors at the moment is that catching COVID and then developing long COVID kind of triggered some kind of response in my body. And so all of these conditions which I had, which weren't too bad, kind of all flared up at once and just developed to be like major problems in themselves. Wow. So so we're thinking that FND and whatever whatever other issues have flared up post-COVID may have been present before, but just not flared up. And then yeah. that, that's, so, that's so interesting. The way that we qualify and quantify diagnoses is very interesting because, you know, I'm, I, I'm wondering if like you talked to, I don't know your situation yet, so I'm just, you know, 
this <laughs> this is not necessarily reflective of reality, but I'm just wondering if uh, like certain doctors would qualify everything you're going through as long COVID and others would qualify it differently. Is that something that you've thought about? I mean, I feel like when I listen to different doctors, because I never see at my GP at the moment, um, I never see the same doctor every single time. I get like a whole random bunch. Um, I don't think they all have the same opinion. Some people, some doctors will say, yeah, this is all on COVID. And some people say, no, you know, this was going to happen to you anyways. It just seems to have happened all at once. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that must yeah. be so maddening, you know, because like, I mean, I know what it's like to be undiagnosed. I'm still undiagnosed with whatever I have. Uh, but I, 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 and I have been misdiagnosed a few times along the way where some doctors oh, me told too. me yeah. I had one thing and then other doctors say, no, it's not that. And like, you know, when you're chronically ill, you really want to hang your hat on a diagnosis. You know, you really want to know what you have so they can start yeah. learning to incorporate it into your life. But to get conflicting information from doctors must be just so frustrating as far as trying to learn how to live with this thing. Definitely. It's really frustrating. My parents have like a running joke of saying, you don't need any more labels, you don't need any more diagnoses, because I think I've got like nine at the moment. And it's just kind of like overwhelming them, because if we think like two years ago, I didn't have anything. And now it's all just kind of blown up. It's just a bit scary, I think, to them Absolutely. to try and accept it all. Yeah, and that's that's tough too. You know, it's scary enough for you, the person living through it. Um, but yeah, I also know from experience how hard it can be on your family. And you know, I know my my mom in particular is. You know, when I first got sick, she just she wanted to know almost as bad as I wanted to know what was going on. Uh, yeah. So. And then there's like all these complicated feelings of feeling like it's your fault because you're putting your family through something when yeah. when you didn't choose any of this. This is something that happened to you. That is exactly how I feel a lot of the time. Well, yeah, I will say. I think my family have actually been like my biggest supporters. They definitely helped me get through it. Um, in fact, my mum pretty much takes care of me 24-7 and my fiancé too. I sometimes feel, well, a lot of the time I feel like a burden because... Two years ago, I was, you know, relatively fine, relatively okay, and just getting by. And now it's like even the smallest tasks are so difficult. It's such a like hard process to go through to, you know, have all your abilities and that taken away from you. I feel like um, it's a bit different from people who say were born with. Um, chronic illnesses or disabilities to people who have developed it because I guess their entire life has been adjusting or living that way and then to have your mobility so suddenly taken from you it's kind of like knocks you off your feet you don't really yeah. know how to, how to cope yeah how to it's interesting they're, they're both they're very different but they're they're both extremely challenging in 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 different yeah. ways so yeah. it's it sounds like you you know, you were just knocked off your feet. Was it two years ago that you had COVID? Um, it was October 2020. I first caught COVID and then I caught it exactly a month later in November 2020. So, Whoa. yeah, two years now. Scary thought. Yeah. So that must have been pre-vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, although I was very, like, very much all for the vaccine. And I did get, I think I've had... Um, 
both doses and a booster. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember um, going in uh, for my vaccine and I just started having all of these major symptoms where um, I just wasn't functioning normally and I was getting all of these looks from other people who are waiting to go for their vaccine as I was coming out, clearly not okay. I was like, please don't be frightened. This, is, this isn't normal. This doesn't happen to everybody. I've had a little guilty for scaring everybody else. Wow. <laughs> yeah. um, tell me about your initial COVID infection. Did you have a, a very serious reaction to, to the disease? Um, I wouldn't say it was really serious, but it was serious so um they listed me as an amber patient i got a little leaflet i went to see um what is called the gp plus in our country so they're like when the gp is closed you go there and they're i guess more specialized in it and they were specialists in covid at the time and i went to see them because i was really struggling with breathing it was only a week into my infection and I was having a really hard time breathing and I was getting this really, really strong pain in my chest that made me want to hold my breath as opposed to breathe mm. because it's so painful. But it wasn't, it was like just one step away from needing to go into the hospital kind of. So they were like, yeah, it's serious. We're going to keep an eye on you. We're going to look after you, but it's not serious enough to be sat in hospital all the time. Um, it was really hard. I would say the first week like knocked me off my feet completely I was having a lot of dizziness and I was fainting a lot and I was sick quite a bit so a lot of vomiting and then the second week I was um it was my half term so I was working as a in a primary school at the time and so we had a half term two weeks off and I was so upset that I had caught COVID because I wasn't re relaxing enjoying my time off I was spending it um throwing up and just fainting all over the place and um I was really determined on the second week I'm gonna get better didn't get better I think because I pushed myself I actually ended up making it a bit worse so then I had a sick note to let me stay off an extra bit of time from work uh, because I still hadn't recovered from pushing myself and yet I continued to push myself it is a lesson I am still trying to learn the lesson of pacing myself and knowing when to rest I feel like that's a big thing at the moment with me because I mean I would have considered myself I used to be quite an active person I used to like to go out for walks and stuff and I like to be outside and do things and then to be all of a sudden trapped in bed being unable to move it was it was torture for me I just wanted to be outside I wanted to be doing stuff and I definitely reflecting when looking back on it, I do think that because for so long I just tried to push it behind me and push through it and keep doing regular activities, I definitely think that I may have made myself worse by not just giving myself that time to rest and recover. I do sometimes think if I had rested and I hadn't pushed myself, would I potentially not be with long COVID now? Would I not be suffering as badly as I am? But um, then there's that whole what if, mm. which I'm always being told off for. I don't need to do the what if thing because it just sends my head into a spin. Yeah, and there's no, you know, 
I mean, I, I struggle with this as well, still. <laughs> um, like, I've had flare-ups of whatever I've got on and off my whole life. I've been inside of a flare-up for like five and a half years, and I still struggle knowing where my limits are and how far yeah. to push myself. Whenever I have a good day, I just want to do everything, and I try, and then I, you know, end up pushing myself into a bad day, and then I might have bad days for several days to follow. Um, but, you know... But what's happening to you is so, it's so unfair and it's so unpredictable and trying to, you know, I don't know. I, I, I've had a lot of these thoughts of myself of like, could I have done something differently and this wouldn't have happened? And I've tried so many things to assert some control over my chronic illness that haven't worked. Um, to the point where I've really started to feel like, no, <laughs> you know, there, I couldn't have done something differently and made this work. Like, you have to go through the process of learning what your body is doing and learning how to cope. And it changes overnight when, when something like this happens. And, yeah. you know, you expecting your body to do what it could do yesterday is normal, you know? Um, and I, you know, my, my understanding of long COVID is that it, it strikes some people and not others, and we don't know why, but it seems like if it strikes you, it's going to strike you no matter what, you know? Um, yeah. So, I, I know that, you know, other people I'm sure are telling you this, it sounds like, but as someone who has a lot of experience with chronic illness, I, I do not think that you caused this. I do not think that you pushing yourself is what gave you long COVID. I, that doesn't sound to me like, you know, like something that could have happened. Um, and I know those feelings and I, I feel those things about myself sometimes, but, you know, and it's easier to say it to someone else than to tell yourself, but, you know, that's, I don't know if it's worth anything. I, I have to, I have to at least say that. I feel like it's a daily process that you have to go through. It's something that you have to tell yourself every day. Like, it's not my fault. There's nothing I could have done. And just trying to accept it, which is like a really difficult thing to do. I know, um, even telling myself after hearing it for years on end now it feels like um even telling myself sometimes I'm like ugh, I know it I know I in my soul I know but also at the same time there's like another thought that's like what if yeah it's just oh, totally yeah I totally relate to that yeah it's like even something you can know logically um or <laughs> something that you can tell yourself and and be able to you know talk through the entire equation to tell yourself exactly why it's not true there's still that voice in the back of your head blaming yourself you know it's yeah. so frustrating it is very frustrating i think um all of my health issues are very frustrating i just find them well annoying yeah um, yeah totally and it is a it's a daily struggle and it's something that takes years and you just want it to not exist so you want to not have to do the things that you need to do to make it better but yeah. but then you keep running into walls and having to go back and and reexamine accepting those things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's just a it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, I do think like every day I, in terms of long COVID because I feel like sometimes when I talk about it on social media or when I talk about my health issues, I get sidetracked on one condition and then I'd like to remember to remind everyone that yes, I still have long COVID. Um, I deal with it every day. Something that made me, I, my biggest symptom that has been all the way through is the chest pain that I get and the struggle to breathe. It always feels like there's not enough oxygen and no matter what I do, I can't get as much in as I need to. 
and it feels kind of like I'm being suffocated, like there's not enough air. Um, and then it's like different activities will trigger that, that. Like some days it's walking from one room to another and other days it's putting on a T-shirt. And <laughs> it is, um, it's something that you kind of, you can't ever predict. Like there's no way of knowing how each day is going to go. So you kind of have to take it, not even a day at a time, like an hour at a time mm-hmm. to try and pace yourself. And yeah, I hear that all the time. Pace, pace, pace. That's all I'm getting from my doctors. Um, I feel like some people in the UK that I've been talking to, um, I don't know if it's the same for you in America, but um, there's long COVID clinics and I suppose you've heard of them. I, I haven't. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm not as familiar with uh, what's happening with long COVID here. I know there's a lot of research going on, but, um, but yeah, tell me about it. So there's these long COVID clinics happening. Um, you get referred by your GP and then um, it takes a while. I think the process for me took from the referral from my GP to the long COVID clinic actually getting in touch. It was about three months. And then from there, it was just a phone call for them um, asking all these questions. And I would say, yes, no, yes. It was about a one hour long session where they would go through all of the symptoms of long COVID. And then it was another three months and I had another phone call and it was um, them checking if my symptoms have changed and seeing if I'm struggling more or if anything is getting better. And then it was another three months and I was... I had another call and they said that they would refer me to, um, because I was having all of these separate issues, they would refer me to different specialists instead of actually, you know, accepting me as a patient in their clinic. Uh, For other people, I know the process has gone faster. So as I say, like other people that I've been talking to, they say that their long COVID clinic, their local clinics are really good and really helpful. But for me, I haven't had um, as much support as I was initially hoping for when my doctor said, we're going to refer you to this clinic. Mm. Um, Because instead of them actually trying to help me and treat me, um, they just keep pushing me off to other doctors who then say, look, your case is too complex. Um, I could treat this, but then that would disturb this. So they never really know what to do with me. So I first caught COVID in October 2020 and then again in November 2020. And then in December 2020, I was misdiagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis because I was having severe pain and still am having it in all of my joints and just having a lot of trouble walking um, and then in somewhere between February and March 2021 I was diagnosed with adenomyosis um, a lot of people haven't heard about it um, and I could go on like a really long tangent it's like a cousin to endometriosis which you've probably heard of mm-hmm. um, if I get the definition right endometriosis grows on the outside of the uterus and elsewhere in the body it just attaches whereas adenomyosis grows within the wall of your uterus Mm -hmm. and um it's very painful very debilitating 
it's an awful condition just ask anyone who has it <laughs> um and then so i was still reeling from you know having covid and still wasn't feeling well and that at that point i hadn't been diagnosed with long covid yet it was just kind of still unwell post-viral illness um and i was still reeling from being told that i had rheumatoid arthritis and then being told no you don't and then I was dealing with all of that and then pretty shortly after um, I was told that I had developmental coordination disorder. I don't suppose you've heard of that. I haven't heard of that. Um, commonly talked about as dyspraxia. Um, for my entire life I've had it. Um, throughout my childhood my parents were always like there's something not right. They used to joke calling me grace was a mistake because i'm very clumsy um and i used to get really injured a lot and i don't very much have um hand co hand eye coordination and i just really struggled with like sports and stuff growing up and it's also um i have trouble processing things and a hard time speaking you know going from what i'm thinking in my brain to what i want to say through my mouth um, and when I was doing my exams in secondary school, I was really struggling. Like I used to spend hours every night revising for my exams and then I would go do a test and I would get a really, really low score and the teachers would be like accusing me of not doing any revision. And me and my parents were like, what? We spend so much time on the textbooks. You know, how is it not showing that through the exams? And we asked for some tests to be done and we went to my GP and eventually got saw by um, a specialist who said that, yep, I definitely had dyspraxia. So then I had to wait a year to do the test because it was a long process. I feel like if I was younger, um, it would have gone much faster. But since I was turning 18, I wasn't really in pediatric care anymore, but they kept me on just because when I first started the referral, I was. Um, and then I got diagnosed with that, which was such a relief. I cannot describe to say that, as you say, um, being undiagnosed for so long and not having any answers, I always just felt like a bit odd out, odd one out, you know, didn't really have any answers. Um, and then have that answer, I was so relieved. So at that point, I'd got, you know, struggling post-COVID, I'd got my DCD diagnosis and adenomyosis, and I was like, whoa, this is a lot. I didn't really know how to cope. And then in August 2021, I started having my seizures. Mm. Within a month, actually, I got a diagnosis of FND, which is the fastest I've ever had a diagnosis. And I was really impressed with my neurologist because it was just a two-hour phone call, um, like a doctor's appointment over the phone. And he listened and he was really good and he was asking all the right questions. And he said that he believed that I had had FND since I was 14, but the recent symptom of seizures was probably caused by, you know, the stress of um, long COVID and dealing with the COVID issues. Um, and because I'd started to have seizures, that helped him connect all the dots to diagnose, with, diagnose me with FND. So on one hand, I was like, again, really relieved i'd got a diagnosis i could start finding answers building a community feel you know less alone 
And then on another hand, because I'd been diagnosed with FND, other doctors started to get really scared to kind of touch me. So now I had, you know, long COVID, DCD, anxiety and FND, not anxiety, adenomyosis. It was kind of like every doctor brought up the seizures. Like we would do this for you, but you have seizures. So I don't really want to touch it. I want to leave it. And that is kind of like a circle I have every time now that I go to the doctors after being diagnosed with all my other conditions. Um, every doctor I go to see does pretty much say because of my FND, they don't feel confident enough to try and help me with my long COVID issues or try and help me with my adenomyosis. Or at the moment, and for a while now, I've been having really bad gastro issues. And when I went to go see the gastroenterologist, um, sure enough, she said that because I had FND, it must be a functional gut problem and didn't want to do any tests or anything to prove that it wasn't. And it's really like gutting. Like it really, it's really hard because I want answers. I need answers. They'll help me take care of my body better and help me feel better. And it would just help me. Like I can't, it would just be so brilliant to have answers and to be able to take care of my body in the right way but then to have doctors who because of FND won't touch me in any sense um it's I, I can't describe it I hope you understand what I'm trying to say it's oh absolutely absolutely well it should um, be it should be illegal to refuse care you know it's mm, it sounds yeah. like getting this FND diagnosis was almost a curse because yeah it's like on the well it's on, on the one hand it's like you get you get a feeling of like, wow, I, I feel validated by this neurologist who gave you the diagnosis, who listened to you and and seemed to care. But then everyone else is like, oh, well, then I, I won't have anything to do with you. It's like yeah. you have the black mark and they don't want to treat you at all. And that should be <laughs> yeah. illegal. You know, like that that should be illegal to, to use someone's diagnosis against them um, to refuse care. Like just yeah. be, just because you've been diagnosed with FND doesn't mean that you don't have gastro issues, or doesn't mean that you that your seizures don't you know don't deserve some uh, additional diagnostics to make sure that's what's causing them. You know, it's like um, like every piece of this, you deserve care and you deserve someone to to try and help you. Um, and th yeah. this is where you know my experience, like this really touches on my experience as well. And that's why it makes me so angry is because I went for years and years and years with doctors refusing to even try, you know, they'd, they'd meet me and they'd look at my chart and they'd say, Oh, well, you've had a thorough workup in the past. There's nothing I can do, you know? Um, and then just send you out the door. And it's like, if I, if I didn't need help, I wouldn't have come in. You know, the fact that I'm here at all means that I need help. If you don't know how to help me, you can tell me I don't know what to do and refer me to someone else and give me a next step. That's that's at, at the bare minimum. But just to yeah. say like, oh, well, there's nothing we can do and just send you out the door, like that is below the bare minimum. That That is insulting, offensive, and dangerous. And, yeah. you know, people people live their lives for years and years in so much pain and so much discomfort um, sometimes with diagnoses that are just sitting right there waiting to be found, but a doctor isn't willing to check. So, you yeah. know, that, that's been my experience over and over and over. And I, 
am, I'm 37 years old. I started having issues. Um, I mean, my very first issues were like in second grade and then it kind of came and went away and then it came back in high school. Um, and it seemed to be, you know, uh, something that was like triggered by mold. And then when I got away from mold, it went away. So we forgot about it. And then it came back after college and got really bad. And we went into all these diagnostics and then it went away again. And then it came back when in my early thirties. So it's like, every time it comes back, I go back to the doctor and try to get help. And at 37 years old, this is the first time where I've really had a doctor who's been willing to just like keep trying and to run like hundreds of tests and to try everything that she could possibly think of and then keep trying when she can't find something this is the first time I've had that. And I'm 37 and I've been doing this since second grade. And that is so messed up, you know, but, um, but on the other hand, it's like, it's possible, you know, like there are doctors who are willing to try and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, uh, like the question that, I wish I'd known to ask was like in the medical center where I'm at, is there anyone here who deals with mystery illnesses or who likes to deal with people who are hard to diagnose? You know, like that's a question I wish I'd known to ask because that's how I eventually found the person I'm seeing now is another, you know, GP in the office I was in was like, Hey, we have someone here who really likes cases like these. Do you want to see her? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Do I want to see her? How come no (laughs) one's ever brought this up before? You know? (laughs) So, but, but it shouldn't be that way. You know, it shouldn't be that we have to like search for this one specific doctor who's willing to even try, but there's so, there's so many people out there in complex medical situations who really need that type of care and who just can't get it and who are just beaten down over and over by the medical establishment and stop trying and just just try to learn to live with it on their own or they you know or like I went to a naturopath for years and that ended up being a complete dead end you know trying all these things that just aren't going to help because you need the diagnosis you need the medical care and just can't get it it's 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 infuriating yeah yeah i totally understand um a big thing that i would say that is like again with the seizures and people being afraid my seizures are uh, non-epileptic so that they can't that means that they can't be like treated by any medicine so you just kind of have to wait it out when it happens um and i think when i first started having seizures i went to the hospital about three times within one week and i just ended up being sat there on a bed um not being seen by anyone because they knew that they couldn't do anything they just left me there for hours and hours on end I was like if nothing is going to happen in the hospital if nobody's going to even try and figure out what is happening why do I need to be sat in the hospital because hospitals are like a really even before I got ill they were like scary sick made me feel uncomfortable place to be in um and then now after I've gotten ill having all of my bad almost traumatic experiences being there um you know being gaslighted by doctors and them telling me that what I'm experiencing isn't real I'd never want to go there again so if I'm going there for a problem it's because I genuinely believe there is a problem and I really want an answer for it Mm -hmm. and the fact that when they just kind of say that oh, we don't think there's anything we can do or we're not even going to try. That has always frustrated me. And there's been, it's like, 
always breaks my heart because I do my best to advocate for myself and because of the seizures that I've been having now I often take somebody into my appointments with me so that you know if I do have a seizure they're there to look after me because 90% of the time when I go to the doctors or a hospital they have no idea what's happening because there's so little knowledge on FND and non-epileptic seizures um I've got somebody else with me advocating for me, trying to help me. And the doctors are still bold enough to just sit there and say, we're not going to do anything. Sorry, we're too scared by the seizures. We're not going to do anything. It's something that I've been hearing for the past year, that it's kind of this cycle that goes in. Sorry, we don't want to help you because um, that might cause you to have a seizure. And then if you have a seizure, that might make seizures worse. And it's just cycle what I'm always talking about this never-ending cycle that I'm experiencing because I've started to have the seizures and all these problems related with FND like I have paralysis sometimes and tremors and I also have functional tics and like as soon as that happens people get a little bit scared they just want to step back and especially doctors and you know healthcare professionals people who are supposed to be helping me and making my life you know easier and better and they're supposed to be looking for answers and they just sort of instantly flinch and want to step away because they're a little bit scared to touch that they don't want to go near me in case you know something bad happens and they don't want that on their reputation it's just it's so frustrating it makes me feel sick at times and going back to the long covid clinic they were saying because of my seizures i'm now an even more complex case and so they were gonna take me to this board of doctors all these specialists and take my case to them and see if they could help me and the woman who i spoke to on the phone said that she was going to get back in touch with me within a week it's been like six months now i've still not heard anything about my supposedly really complex case and if anybody has any answers it's just it's awful there's there's no real nice way to describe it because it isn't a nice situation to be in and i don't think anyone has any answers for me which is it's just really it's not, there's no yeah. nice way to put it oh it's horrible it's awful and it's so easy to like to lose hope in that situation, you know. Yeah. And some someone in the world has answers that could help, you know. It's just like finding the doctor who's willing to be that person is is so incredibly difficult. And you know, that's why I love doing this podcast. Like we've gotten I've I've learned so much from people who have found answers. Like someone wrote in recently who was uh um, like responding to an episode we did about EDS, one of the many, because a lot of people have been diagnosed with EDS recently, yeah. talking about having non-epileptic seizures and how they were diagnosed with, uh, um, I think it was called craniocervical instability that was diagnosed in an upright MRI. Um, it's really something I'd wow. never heard of before, but, um, yeah. you know, just that ex that popped into my mind because there are, you know, there are types of non-epileptic seizures that have explanations. And I'm not a medical yeah. professional. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just relaying information yeah. that I've learned from other people who said, hey, I have a chronic illness. I have this thing. This helped me. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the type of information that I am, am recording and sharing here on this podcast. And it's put all this different stuff in my brain that wasn't in there before. Um, yeah, but like methods like that have actually helped me, like going on social media, yeah. going on 
Instagram, TikTok, seeing other people's lived experiences and hearing their stories has helped me figure out conditions I think I have. Like, I personally think I have IBD based on my very long list of symptoms. And yet, as I say, when I went to go see the gastroenterologist, as soon as she heard um, FND, kind of freaked out and didn't want anything to do with me. But the only way I figured that out was because I have other people in my family who have it and because of all the different stories and different people I've seen who have been through the same processes on social media and because I've seen how long it takes other people like I have members in my family who have taken many years to get diagnosed for things and I've seen loads of friends and people online who have suffered for years with no answers and then finally they get the answer and it turns out it's been something they think they've had the entire time this is why I'm so like I get angry at my doctors and I think that kind of freaks them out a little bit because I'm so I get so frustrated trying to advocate for myself because I don't want to be in a situation where 10 years down the line they say oh yeah we've just done this test and it turns out you do have IBD um sorry (laughs) and you know that at that point there might be like irreversible damage that if I'd done something and annoyed the doctors so badly until they'd actually paid attention to me that maybe at this point right now I could get a diagnosis and that could save me from years down the line unnecessary pain like I'm really big for um pissing them off basically you can bleep that out I'm not sure um (laughs) (laughs) you like that language on your podcast um I just (sighs) I I get angry at them and I think the more angry I get at them and the more irritated they are by my presence and me constantly going to them and say, hey, something's still wrong, something's still wrong, maybe eventually they'll actually listen, like they'll be forced to do something. Um, I would say going back to my neurologist, sorry, again, I know I'm going all over the place. Um, He's been really good. He has been amazing. In fact, I had an appointment like my one-year checkup since I first started having seizures recently and we got a copy of the letter he sent to my GP sent in the post and a part of his text was him telling off other doctors who had been incorrectly using my diagnosis of FND against me (laughs) and using my seizures against me he he like made the text in bold and highlighted it and I just felt like he was advocating for me although he is a neurologist and only deals with like the brain part he was saying to the other doctors they've got to pay attention to me they can't just fob me off and I just felt as you say sometimes you find the right doctor and although you know he's only a specialist in the brain like I wish I had him at my side for every other appointment because he's just so like passionate about it and it just makes you feel good doesn't it when you've actually got a doctor who listens to you because 99% of the time doctors for people with chronic illnesses and disabilities or conditions that seem to be like a mystery or have a stigma around them doctors don't really want to touch you they yeah, are I just wow. think at the moment supported That's although awesome. there's all this you know horrible nasty stuff and I'm still searching for answers with the long COVID I feel good that my neurologist has got my side yeah no that's amazing that's fantastic and yeah what you were saying about IBD it's like 
if you're if you're talking to a gastroenterologist and you're telling them the symptoms and you have a family history refusing to test you is is criminal you know like that that makes no sense there's there's something that a couple people have said on the podcast that i love which is like if a doctor does that tell them it's like okay well if you're refusing to run this test can you write that in my chart that you refuse to 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 do this yeah. test and that people have told me over and over that they then got the test done when they did that. Yeah. But like, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the number one thing doctors ask you about. It's like family history and yeah. to try to help them kind of pinpoint a direction to go in. If you have a family history of that and a gastroenterologist who refuses to, to test you like that, that's, that's criminal, you know, like that, that makes me so mad. It's like you either, yeah. it sounds like you need a new gastroenterologist, you know, like that's awful. Yeah. I have, I have been, as I say, my neurologist has like advocated for me to go to my GP and try and get a referral to a different um, gastroenterologist. But I feel like at the moment, because it's so hot and, you know, we're going through like this heat wave, I can't deal with too many issues all at mm -hmm. one moment. So I have to like figure out when is a good time for me to go to the doctor and have to deal with that issue on my plate. Like at the moment, I'm just trying to survive in the heat. Oh my goodness. I respect that so much. I've said the same thing so many times. It's like, okay, when, when everyone has recommendations and they're all coming in at you and it's like, I can only deal with a certain amount of things at a time. It's like, yeah. I'm going to follow this lead, this one lead uh, to its dead end. And then I will follow this next lead. I cannot, like yeah. my brain cannot, wrap itself around all these things. I, I, that is such a valuable thing to, uh, to say, you know, it's really, really important that, that people that know people with chronic illnesses know that, you know, that we can only take on so much at once. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm even guilty of this. Like I hear your story and I'm just like, want to start screaming at people to help you and like knocking down doors. <laughs> but it's, it's so important to remember that like you, you are the person who needs to dictate the speed at which all of this happens. You know, it's your yeah. body, it's your story. Um, that's super because important. I feel like, yeah, sorry for interrupting you. Yeah, I feel yeah. like in the past two years, once I started getting diagnoses, the ball started rolling and it kind of rolled way too fast for me because all of these diagnoses were coming in all at once and everything was really overwhelming. And now that that kind of rush is out of the way, I went to try and take it at my own pace because I feel like I have a better grasp on things now than when I did when I first became ill because um I can take my time um it's like delegating as to what issue I want to deal with first like I really need answers for the gastroenterology so that's like high up priority next on my list and then further down the line there's other issues that I have and um I don't know because part of my adenomyosis for example I've been put on a type of the pill and it has stopped one symptom but has caused major problems in another symptom so it's yes it's helping one problem but overall is it really helping me no so I kind of need to get that sorted but again there's another issue there um, I was actually due to have, I had a pre-op appointment. This is, I know uh, COVID has had impact all over like the NHS, all healthcare system. And I know that people are having ex like extreme delays with appointments and stuff. Um, but I was, I had a pre-op appointment because I was due to have a explore, 
I don't know how to say it, um, a laparoscopy to explore, you know, my uterus to see if I have endometriosis as well as adenomyosis, which um, is quite common to have both conditions at the same time. Um, and that was months and months ago down the line. I think it was um, in January, February time. And I still haven't heard anything from that. That's like another issue that I've got to deal with, but they're just kind of at the back of my mind all the time. But I have to, as I say, delegate and choose which one I want to, <laughs> which one is more urgent for me to get answers. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a full-time job, you know, living with a chronic illness yeah. is a full-time job. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> I'm really, I really resonate with what, with what you're saying. Um, I'm curious, your second time with COVID, how did that compare to the first time? They were only a month apart. Uh, how did it compare? Was it similar? Was it different? So what happened was um, I was still struggling with my breathing like big time. I feel like I'm still struggling at the same amount right at the minute, right now as what I was when I first caught it but I'm just kind of used to the pain so it's just kind of always there and now it's like feels like a lower level so I've never had any answer to that but I was I would gone to the hospital to see if I had a blood clot to have an x-ray and whilst there um they had insane they were like way overflowing spilling out the entrances of how many people were there because of covid and i feel like because i was sat there for i think i was in the hospital for like eight hours just for one x-ray i think it's highly probable <laughs> that i caught covid again whilst being in the hospital <laughs> so then for those next two weeks while i was isolating i just felt like I was having all of the same symptoms, but there was this extra fatigue added on because it kind of worsened it. So then that's when I started dealing with the chronic fatigue a bit more. And um, they added that into like the long COVID symptoms that I was dealing with and kind of contributed me having the fatigue to having caught COVID twice in such a short period. Um, and I did have people messaging me like, are you sure it's not the same, you know, COVID? Because there was like this myth that if you test positive once for six months later, you'll continue to test positive, although that's clearly not the case now. Um, I feel like I was having all of the same symptoms, but just at like a higher level. Hmm. I say? It yeah. just felt like just that bit much more intense and it kind of was just, I was in bed the entire time. So like the first two weeks that I had caught COVID the first time, as I say, I was pushing myself. I was trying to get out there and do more stuff. And then the second time I caught COVID, I was like, there's no way I'm ever leaving this bed again. I'm staying in here. I'm never going to be able to do anything again. I was like really, really dramatic. Um, <laughs> I'm, because people were dying from it and I was really scared. And at that point, you know, having caught it a second time, I was like, I'm going to stay in bed. I'm not going to do anything. But of course, after the two weeks of isolation went by, I was back out there again, kept pushing myself. And as, as I was saying earlier, it's like this journey of trying to teach myself to pace because mm. I'm not the greatest at that. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. How long after your second COVID infection, how long until you knew you had long COVID? 
Uh, it sounds like, you know, there's the recovery period and you're like trying to get better. But then at what point do you say, hey, I'm not getting all the way better. I think I have long COVID. How long did that take? I think it was February 2021 because I'd been off work for so long. Like I, from my initial COVID infection, I had never gone back to work. So I kept having to ask for sick notes from my GP. And every time it was just saying on the reason why post viral. And I kept going back with the same issues with the chest pain and the fainting. And I had this, um, my nausea just started to fade off. But another one of my massive symptoms was this constant nausea. And I just kept throwing up a lot. And so I kept going back to the doctor. And I think at one point they were kind of like, it's weird that this has been happening for so long after and they started to talk about long COVID and then all of a sudden on my next sick note it said as opposed to post-viral sickness long COVID and so we kept having that conversation and they just kind of said yeah we think you've got long COVID and then it was just up to me again to kind of deal with it myself and then at one point they were like we're going to refer you to a long COVID clinic because you're still not getting any better. Mm. It was never like a formal um, diagnosis of such as you have long COVID. It wasn't like a sit down conversation. It was kind of just at one point we switched from post viral sickness to long COVID because we couldn't say it was post viral sickness as in I was recovering from being mm. ill Yeah, because there was clearly no recovering happening. <laughs> Was that a difficult emotional transition to make? It's like a very soft, slow, creeping thing that's, you know, it's been happening the whole time, but you don't know it until enough time has passed to recognize. Yeah, it, was it was difficult for me to kind of process. And I didn't know at which point to start saying to people when this was asking, oh, why are you still off work? Why are you still ill? I didn't know when was the right time to say confidently oh I have long COVID because I was still kind of being like oh you know how I got COVID when well, I'm still kind of sick from that and people I feel like at first there was so when I initially caught my you know I initially got the infection um there was a lot of sympathy oh no somebody else has got COVID hope you feel better soon and then when I wasn't getting better soon people were like hmm this is odd because again I wasn't seriously ill enough to be in hospital I was just kind of at home watching Netflix all day so people were wondering if I was just kind of exaggerating it and it wasn't really as bad as I was making out to be and then when I got my long COVID diagnosis as I say like when we switched into calling it long COVID um, people were more like oh I've heard of that I've heard of people who have that but it was still kind of a relatively new thing and then when I started getting diagnosed with my other conditions, it was kind of like, okay, Grace is ill now. You know, Grace is the same person as she used to be. Um, I stopped getting like invited out places and stuff. It was kind of like a, it was never at one point a solid cut. It was kind of like a slow fade out from people checking in on me and making sure that I'm all right. Now it's just the occasional, um, if I bump into somebody, are you feeling any better? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't, people don't really know what to say to it. And neither do I, I guess, because I'm still kind of like, 
it's really frustrating that I'm, and I know I'm going to feel it when it comes up to the two year mark in October, I'm going to feel it. How come I still have long COVID and I still don't have any answers and I haven't had any help that has improved how I'm feeling. I'm still having the same issues that I was having when I first got it. And it's kind of mind blowing that I still don't have any resolutions. Like I don't have a solution. Um, Oh, yeah, and that like fading out from your old life is so hard, especially when, um, you know, this is something else I have some experience with with my many flare ups of whatever this is, is like wanting other people to reach out and recognize what's happening to you, but what's happening to you is happening behind closed doors, and other people don't have any idea what's going on, Um, and that disconnect can be very painful. You know, I've talked to a lot of people on the show who've talked along the lines of feeling like a lot of their friends disappeared as they kind of fell into chronic health situations. Is that something you've experienced? Yeah, I feel like my friends are sympathetic, but they don't really understand. And um, I feel like like wider as in, you know, friends and family, um, they don't really know much about it. As you say, it's behind closed doors. So I I guess this is like what inspired me to be making my Instagram and my TikTok to be talking about it. I try and do this thing where I'm almost cringeworthy, like really open about things. Everyone says TMI. I no longer know what TMI is because I can't kind of try and make sure that I'm talking about it a lot because nobody really has any clue. I guess for people in the chronic illness community and disability community we know a bit more about long covid and we know the post-viral struggles and dealing with illnesses but regular people healthy people they don't really know what's happening and so i'm trying to like make people aware of it um as cringy as it might be to them to hear about my poop schedule or something because (laughs) i do post about that i'm trying to take away the stigma from all of these health issues because people seem to like close up when you talk about things like health issues and stuff because it's normally like seen as a personal deal with it on your own kind of thing but by pushing people to keep it behind closed doors it kind of does mess with your emotions a bit and it gets in your head and then you feel alone and isolated and feeling like that I remember for I think the entirety of 2021 almost, I could be sat in a room full of people and still feeling isolated and alone because I had all of these issues and I had nowhere to talk to, nowhere to talk about it and nobody who understood it. And I feel like I have built a community on my socials of people who do get it, like yourself. Um, You just understand other people who have chronic illnesses understand, but I, just want to make regular people more aware of um, what's going on because I don't feel like it's a regularly talked about topic, health issues like long COVID and such. Um, I mean, for me, I had never even heard of FND before I was diagnosed with it. And now it's like my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to, I want to make it more common. I don't want that to be like a shame or stigma to surround those things and want to make sure that if anyone else is out there like 
when I first got diagnosed with endomyosis, again, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. Um, I searched all over Instagram and Facebook. I could barely find any creators who talked about it. And I want to be that person for other people who, when they get diagnosed with something and they're scared and frightened and they don't really have any answers to it, they get to go onto social media and they get to find somebody who has experienced the same stuff as them. And, um, you know, I recently got a message saying, um, I found this post of yours, you talk about DCD and dyspraxia. Um, I just want to thank you because I rarely see anybody post about that. And those things kind of touch my heart because that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I want to make sure that anyone, if anyone's sat alone at home, you know, their parents don't want to hear about it or their family doesn't want to hear about their health issues. They have people to go to and, you know, sources of information that aren't just like Wikipedia or the NHS page. Yeah. Someone to actually i love that it's so important i mean when you when you have a chronic illness and you live in a society that wants you to not talk about it and your whole life like kind of shrinks down until you just exist in your bedroom and you can't talk about it like like the the emotional part of having to learn to live with it becomes so much more difficult when you feel like you have to be silent and yeah. that's not fair, you know, like that, that is not how it should be. And that's a hundred percent why I started this podcast. I just remember, you know, I, I went through my stuff for years and years with no one understanding, no one to talk to. And I remember I, uh, I was, uh, the, the person I was dating at the time, we went on a, like a ferry ride to, uh, either Vancouver or Victoria, BC. And on the way back, I met someone on the ferry who was chronically ill. And it was the first time I had ever met someone like that. And we started talking about, you know, like the foods that he was avoiding and what it felt like to walk into a room with mold and to get super sick. And I'm like, my mind just exploded because I'd never met another human being who had talked about those things that I had been experiencing. And, um, it just like, like one person made my world feel so much less alone. And, you know, I, I I remember the second time I talked to someone about their chronic illness um, It was my friend, my friend Kaylee, I went over to her place and, you know, uh, like we were connected through a, a, a family friend of my partner's family. And um, yeah, we went over to her place and we just talked about it and it was just like, Oh my God, I feel so much better just talking to someone who 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 knows. And that's why I started this podcast. And now I get to have these conversations all the time. <laughs> and it's amazing, you know, like just talking to someone who gets it every, every time makes me feel better. Uh, so yeah. it, it's so important to, to not, you know, let the world silence you. And it's so important to not let the world convince you that you don't deserve to exist and you don't deserve to be a part of society. We all deserve that. Every single person deserves that. And we all deserve good health care. And for, for those of us who are unable to get it, you know, we need to be screaming about that because that is a huge problem that needs to be addressed. So, I don't know. So, yeah, it's so valuable to, to be sharing the way you're sharing. And I, I appreciate you coming on the show today and taking part in this, in my version of it as well. Um, but yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, so when did you start using a wheelchair? I know from experience that that was a very hard transition to make. Tell me about that. 
Um, before I started using a wheelchair, I started using a walking stick and I feel like the transition from being by myself to moving to a walking stick was more dramatic than moving from a walking stick to a wheelchair. I literally <laughs> just said that on the podcast like a week or two ago. I just said the exact same thing. That's so funny. Sorry, continue. <laughs> um, I feel like I was really nervous to come and show my parents. Like I had this conversation with my fiance and I've been sat down and I was like, the only places we were going anymore was like to Tesco or to shops. And I would cling on to the shopping trolley as I would walk around. And I would sometimes have to sit on the floor and, you know, he'd be all kind of like, oh, don't sit on the floor. It's dirty, you know, it's weird to sit on the floor, stand up. And um, I agreed, don't go, <laughs> if you can avoid it, don't go lying around on shopping floors. Um, buying the walking stick was like really scary, like hitting the buy now button. Oh, I was... I got all hot and sweaty. I was really slow. Hmm. And then when it arrived, I was so happy. Like the, I was just like looking at it. It was so pretty. Um, and I was taking loads of photos of it. And I started, you know, I had to Google how to use, how to walk, how to walk with one because I wasn't quite feeling right. And it turned out that I was using it wrong. So um, I had no idea what I was getting into, <laughs> but to have that support, like almost instantly in my head, I felt like a bit of relief, the fact that it would help me with my walking and I wouldn't have to use up so much energy. And one of my biggest symptoms at the time that I got this stick was I have um, fibromyalgia and I get pain at like the slightest touch and I still deal with it now. It's like a daily problem. Um when my feet touch the floor, I get this horrible shooting, burning pain that travels up my feet into my legs. Mm -hmm. And so that's like the biggest like reason for me to get the stick. And then I went over, I went from my partner's place to my parents and I was like, I'm going to leave the stick in the car. No, I'm going to bring it out with me. I'm going to leave the stick in the car. What would they say? And at first I think they were like devastated to kind of see me. You know, I was young, fit and healthy, um, only, a couple of months ago and then all of a sudden I was really ill and I wasn't doing much and then out of nowhere I whip this walking stick into the living room and I was like listen here are the reasons I've bought it you know if you don't like it tough because it's gonna help me and you're gonna have to deal with it and I was like really expecting like a totally negative reaction and I think at first it was kind of like <gasps> and then it was you know shock horror gasp and then it only took like a week or two um and they were like are you gonna bring your walking stick with you and now it i feel like the walking sticks are annoying because they're always falling over my bedroom floor and they're like a trip hazard or whatever but um it wasn't as big as a deal like i feel like if i hadn't made it out to be such a big deal um it wouldn't have been as scary as i thought it was going to be <laughs> but then moving on to a wheelchair because the walking stick while it did help it wasn't helping enough so I was still having really bad pains and it didn't help with like my instability because when I stand up um, I could just be standing still and all of a sudden I would slip or trip or fall over that comes in again with my DCD um, and so I'd been referred to rehab and falls team because I was having a lot of falls and I was getting injured really badly and um, 
I was talking to her and she said, had I thought about a wheelchair? And funnily enough, I'd been thinking about a wheelchair for a long time. Like it wasn't ever a decision that I made really quickly. Like, oh, I'm just going to get a wheelchair and save myself all this trouble. It was like a big thing to pick and choose. And so she measured me up for a wheelchair and it took about three months for it actually to get to me. But I was kind of like softening my softening the blow for my parents and my family. I was saying like, look, I'm, I'm going to get a wheelchair. I don't need to use it all the time. I'm just going to use it when I need to. Um, and then I started having seizures and it was all of a sudden where there was like this little bit of um, tension around the house where it was like the thought of me needing to use a wheelchair. When I started having the seizures, they were like, we need something because everywhere I went, I would just drop to the floor and I'd be like this large lump of lifeless <laughs> flesh and I didn't know what to do with me. Um, so now my wheelchair is like a big thing. I don't leave the house without it. And I feel like if I, if I wasn't having my seizures, it might have taken a little bit more time for them to get used to the idea of seeing that again once previously healthy daughter now in a wheelchair and they use phrases like wheelchair bound which I'm always like oh no because my wheelchair if anything gives me more freedom because I mean right now I'm sat in my bedroom I sit in my bedroom all day I basically never leave my bedroom and the only time I do is if we're going to take my wheelchair and take me out somewhere if I didn't have my wheelchair I would still be hobbling around using a walking stick, barely managing to get like 10 metres. And um, I would never leave the house. So I'm not wheelchair bound. If anything, my wheelchair gives me the freedom that I so desperately crave, like the freedom that I need. Um, I do have a self-propelled wheelchair. Um, I don't often self-propel myself because I have very weak, weak wrists. But I do find, I feel like it was like a learning curve and my parents and my partner to kind of like figure out how to push me around because I feel like at some times so you make jokes about just being parked they would park me somewhere if we're in the shop or something and they've seen something down an aisle that my wheelchair won't fit they'll just leave me there and run off and I'll just be sat there where did where did you go looking around over my shoulder there have been quite a few times actually where we I've been talking as we're wheeling and then we stop wheeling and I assume they stood right behind me and I'll continue talking and turn around and <laughs> they're not behind me. <laughs> um, the wheelchair I have, I was given to given by healthcare services. It was free. Um, it's like just about fits, but um, I actually recently went to um, NADEX, which is like a disability conference Um I went on Wednesday and I have never seen so many people in wheelchairs around me. Again, you know, when we're talking about chronic illnesses and it's so nice to speak to people who have chronic illnesses, mm -hmm. I cannot um, describe the euphoria I felt in me because I often feel when I go places as a young person who looks from the outside relatively healthy to be sat in a wheelchair, I get a lot of stares and I always feel uncomfortable and I just feel like out of place. And then to be in a place where there were so many other people in wheelchairs and to be able to have conversations with them and make jokes and just, you know, feel comfortable. It, it was literally, it just brought me so much euphoria and joy to be surrounded by people who understand 
the looks you get. I even made jokes with someone I met. Um, the person who took me parked me outside the toilets and she ran into the toilets and somebody else was parked next to me. And we made a joke about how it's so annoying how our PAs have needs. And just like that, again, feeling of comfort and feeling of not being so isolated, having other people who understand. I feel like my journey with my wheelchair, I'm still kind of trying to accept that things are different, you know, um, when we go shopping sometimes, um, I'll be really low down and all the shelves are really high up and I just kind of feel frustrated. Um, there's just all these different learning curves and I just, I'm really glad that I've got my wheelchair and I'm really glad for the support that I've got from my family because I guess without them, I would be bed bound and we didn't be able to do anything. But yeah, yeah, I think I completely deviated from the question now. I totally got carried away. No, not at <laughs> all. That was great. I, I feel very similarly about my wheelchair, you know. Um, my, my wheelchair has been amazing for me and it's allowed me to, um, I, I have a manual chair and I, it's allowed me to like get outside and get a little bit of exercise, you know, using my arms. And that's been yeah. really beneficial to me and it's made it so that I'm actually, you know, I, I also went like, uh, barely able to walk to a cane to a wheelchair and now I feel like I'm kind of going back the other way where it's like I'm using the cane more often than I used to and I'm on my feet more often than I used to be and I think that I have the wheelchair to thank for that because it allowed me to get my blood flowing a little bit and get a little bit more exercise get some more outdoor time and um, that's just, it's been so good for me. It's been so good for me and still, you know, I can't if I want to, I can't go for a long walk you know I've had yeah. a couple of days recently where I was able to, and it was just like such a joyous occasion because I've been found new medication doing a little bit better recently. But, um, but like even yesterday I wanted to go, you know, I wanted to go out and go out in the sun. So I took the wheelchair because I, yesterday was a day where I wasn't going to be able to make it far enough on, on foot to like, to be able to go outside. So, um, yeah, it's, it's incredible to be able to do that under your own, control you know yeah. to, to get something back that has been lost um it's just so wonderful um i'm all, so i have another question for you i'm curious about you know a, a lot of us in the chronic illness community especially undiagnosed people have been looking towards the research happening around long covid because there's a lot of talk about how if we can make a breakthrough on long covid it might yield breakthroughs on other chronic illnesses other mysterious chronic illnesses um, but you're someone with long COVID. So what are your thoughts about this scenario? Like, are you keeping your eye on this research? How are you feeling about the future and the potential breakthroughs that could come? I'm feeling excited, but I also don't want to like put too much hope in it because um, I hear a lot of the time that long COVID is very similar to chronic fatigue syndrome. So um, I have like a preliminary diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome it's kind of separate to my long COVID, but at the same time connected. So that's why I don't have like a written formal diagnosis, but my doctors have said, for sure you have this. <laughs> um, um, but chronic fatigue syndrome is also ME. Right. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm not going to because I will butcher it. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people do say, doctors as well, say that long COVID it is essentially almost like a more unknown version of ME, like mm -hmm. just because, because ME is um, well, often caused by um, 
post-viral illnesses and such. So um, I don't know. I, I don't do too much into the research because most of the information that I get is from like Twitter, which I guess isn't people wouldn't consider the most reliable source. But I'm not a big fan for newspapers because a lot of them are biased in different directions and I never know which one to trust. Um, but on Twitter, there's also this like, People can comment and they comment all sorts of rubbish. And I often end up like online for hours. I go on looking for some research and then three hours down the line, I'm fighting some internet troll telling him that long COVID is real and I'm proof of it. <laughs> and I just kind of have to kind of like stay away from it. I hear what I hear from other creators I know on TikTok and just people I interact with on Instagram who also have long COVID. Um, I see what, so they'll comment on some research and I'll read the research that they've done because if they trust their source, I trust the source because I find them trustworthy. Um, yeah, um, I don't really look into it too much because it does stress me out and if I get stressed, I have a teacher and I'm not into that. So mm -hmm. I just kind of, occasionally I hear updates. My mum reads the news and she is always looking at stuff that, for like illnesses that I have and I'm hopeful that um you know there will be some answers soon because at this point again like I said earlier uh, why don't we have answers surely at some point soon we're gonna have some kind of you know explanation for it all but yeah I, I can't really say that I'm knowledgeable <laughs> on that yeah and if some sort of breakthrough is made we're all gonna hear about it that's for sure yeah definitely <laughs> Um, well, I have one last question for you. So, if you were to be able to address someone who just had COVID recently and is not getting better and is, you know, making that realization that they have long COVID, is there anything that you could say uh, from your experience that you think might be helpful? I know it's a hard question. Um, I don't think it's a hard question. I think the answer that I'm going to give is going to be hard to accept. It's going to be rest because I do feel like, although, as I said earlier, I think sometimes if I had rested initially, I might have got better. We know, we never know if that will be true or not. And I don't want to put that blame on me or tell somebody else. If you don't rest, you're going to be suffering a lot. But I think rest and just like, not just your body but your mind as well because you're going to be going through so much stress and you're just going to be feeling all these mixed emotions and I know the symptoms can be really hard to like deal with and you feel so alone I think my advice would be to rest and take it easy and to not stress yourself and to also look for other people who have long COVID online you know look at their posts and instead of like because I find a lot of news articles to be quite contradictory and going on Google sometimes when you put in long COVID, there's so many results and it seems also like scary and threatening. I feel like finding real people, real people's experiences, finding them, building that community, looking at that, you know, connecting the dots, seeing if your symptoms maybe match somebody else. Um, I think that would help. I, I would just say not to stress too much, not to worry just take each day as it comes or take each hour as it comes just remember to kind of like forgive yourself and not put too much pressure on yourself to recover quickly 
and just kind of take each moment as it comes. Awesome. That's fantastic advice. This has been an amazing conversation. Uh, so incredibly valuable. I've related to so much of it. It's always so interesting to me how even with different chronic illnesses, um, yeah. everyone living with chronic illness, there's going to be some similarities there. Um, yeah. yeah. And just like, wow, what a valuable conversation to share. What a valuable perspective to share everything you've gone through. And I know that you're just at this one point in your journey and there's so much more to come. And, you know, the world is a bizarre, strange, and surprising place, and you never know what's around the corner. But at this, this snapshot of what you've been through so far, you know, is very, uh, it's very compelling the way that you describe what you've experienced. And hearing about how, you know, getting COVID, it's not just the long COVID, it's like opening up the floodgates to all these other conditions that you've since been diagnosed with. So much more complicated than I could have ever imagined, but I really appreciate you sharing your perspective and giving us this glimpse into what you've been living through. Um, so tell us again, where can people find you online? And if there's anything else you want to plug, please feel free. Uh, you can find me at long COVID living or it's all one word, no spaces. It's the same handle for every social media. I'm most active on Instagram and TikTok. I just, I guess, as I said, I try and post about the bits that nobody really wants to hear about to try and take away the stigma and make sure that anybody else out there isn't feeling so alone and just knows that they have somebody else out there who's going through the same thing and also, you know, struggling. With yeah. it and just trying to make each day awesome yeah well i'll tag you on both of those places instagram and tiktok that's where i post as well um and you know we tried so many times to make this work and <laughs> this is the reality of chronic illness is that sometimes you know you schedule something and you can't do it on that day it's not just yeah. a day by day it's an hour by hour situation we had i remember at least one day we're like gung-ho to do it and then an hour or two later it wasn't going to happen that day and yeah. the you know, the fact that we finally did it, um, it's just really a testament to how, like, this is just the reality. This is the reality of chronic illness. And sometimes we have to try a little harder, but it is still so worth doing. You know, I'm so glad we had this discussion. I'm thrilled to share it. You did an absolutely fantastic job. I really, really appreciate your time, Grace. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I just want to also add, you have a really soothing voice. When I listen to the other... <laughs> it's really nice you've got the voice for podcasts oh thank you yeah. so much <laughs> no one can see me blush but it's happening <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of major pain i'm jesse mercury your host and the producer of this podcast artwork by egg salad salad our theme music is the song time machine from my sci-fi synth pop album available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com.
Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, and Justin Minnick. And our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Major Pain Pain Podcast.